When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Drill Down. It's the business stories behind Stocks on the Move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is August 12, and this is episode 73. Well, just ahead, Laird Superfood serves up some unhealthy results. And rack space should be in the right space, but its margins reveal a different story. And just how did dentists and veterinarians survive, and in many cases thrive during the pandemic? Our guest sits at the center of the dental and vet tech business, Patterson CEO, Mark Walchurk. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to our podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms. You're probably doing that right now. In fact, you're definitely doing that right now. But are you subscribing? Have you clicked that follow button? Make sure you don't miss a show. Give it a shot. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got the business stories behind stocks and a move. And we've got news, the latest business news stories from executive producer Isaac Webster. Just give me three, Isaac. In fact, give me two and I'll give you one. How about that? Oh, I like the sound of let's that. Let's mix okay. it up. All right. I like this. I like a little change. Number one, let's start with U.S. home prices. U.S. home prices surging in the second quarter. Still. In fact, still. In fact, almost every corner of the U.S. saw robust demand continuing to overwhelm the supply of homes for sale. But it's worth noting that while the home buying frenzy has shown signs of slowing in recent months, home price growth has yet to cool down. Still in the second quarter, and 94% of metro areas studied Median prices rose by more than 10% from a year ago. All this, of course, according to the National Association of Realtors. Um, it, it continues. It continues. Good good sign for some people, a lot of people. <laughs> Number two, let's go to Adidas or Adidas, as our former colleague Matt Miller used to say. And to everyone our, in Europe to our and the rest of the world. Only Americans say Adidas. Well, I'm saying Adidas. So You're Adidas welcome. is selling Reebok to authentic brands for $2.5 billion. That's quite a markdown from 16 years ago when Adidas bought Reebok for $4 billion. Reebok has lost some, got lost somewhat inside of the Adidas empire. The brand saw sales fall 19% in 2020. Now, as for Authentic, the brand who's buying Reebok from Adidas, in the past few years, Authentic has acquired Brooks Brothers, Forever 21, adding to a portfolio that includes Sports Illustrated. Authentic, of course, is prepping to go public, so we'll keep a watch on this company. Yeah, the, the part of Sports Illustrated, a place where I used to work, that they own is not the magazine. Um, that's opened by Maven's, a different company. But the, the Sports Illustrated branded products are what they have. You know what they should do? This might be before your time. They should revive the Sports Illustrated sneaker phone. What? And then they could a sneaker phone? With Reebok. Yeah, back in the 80s, I want to say, 
Um, Sports Illustrated would would sell subscriptions by they'd toss in a free sneaker phone. So it was like a phone cool. shaped like a sneaker. And you'd plug it into the wall. For those of you who were there, yes, phones used to be plugged into the wall. And that was the phone. But the, the problem with said phone, it was it was really, really successful. And they got a lot of subscribers that weren't really in the right demographics for Sports Illustrated just because they wanted the sneaker phones. Um, uh, Mark Mulvoy, the former publisher and, and managing editor of the uh, Sports Illustrated, was um, was famous for his his love of and exploitation of that sneaker phone. Well, I, that sounds like something I would love. Actually, I wish I could get my hands on one. I'm going to check eBay after the show. Uh, now, Corey, you've got the third story then. I do. Um, I'm, I'm going to give credit to my friend Paul Kodrowski. Do you remember Paul when he was a Bloomberg contributor when he used to work with him a little bit? He, he put up something on Twitter that I expanded on today. He did some research where he just did a search. He used Google Trends, and he looked to see how many searches there were for the phrase book a trip and how many phrases there were for cancel a trip. Ah. And we have just reached an inflection point where cancel a trip is surging, and there are more searches now for cancel a trip than book a trip. Um, now, I went back and looked for the last time that happened, and if you see me on Twitter at, at CoreyTV, You'll see said tweet. We'll re- retweet it as well in the at Drill Down Pod. The last time that happened where cancel a trip was over book a trip was uh, late February and March of 2020. What was going on back then? COVID. Wah, wah. Then? <laughs> so oh, uh, I was one of those people. I was one of those people Googling that. I was search. one of those people canceling a trip. Yeah. We had this massive trip planned for May 2020. Um, that we had to cancel, but yeah, I was, I was Googling that back then actually. Well, wow. it's what do you know? Wow. Wow. What a, good times. <laughs> no, no, not good times. Oh, <laughs> uh, you got to laugh or else you're going to cry. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with our old friend X1. X1 trades under X O N E X one shares rose 45% today. Wow. And they've gained 153% in a year. So talk to me about X one. Well, I know you've made it a drinking game. Whenever I mention my exes. Oh God, here we go. Is, I can't every Corey, this midday drinking is not good for any part of my life. <laughs> you should have but, picked a okay, different game. Here we go. This is an X stock of mine, not an X uh, paramour. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, I should say I was never involved in the stock. Um, when when we worked uh, for another company, when we worked for Bloomberg, I went and I, I got a, a tip from a source that X1's brand new factory outside of Detroit uh, that they were talking about in their conference call and ready to ship product from wasn't quite in a state to ship product from. So we quietly flew to Detroit with a camera, met a camera crew there and uh, the, my excellent field producer, Megan Hawkins with me and we went to the address for their factory and snuck in the back doors, which were wide open because there wasn't anything inside. Wow. There was, I remember this so story. Was, My God. It was, it was, uh, and it turns out, yeah, but the company has persisted in the space of 3d printing. So specifically they do 3d printing using um, metallic ore, uh, unlike the plastic 3d printers that dominate the industry. Um, and they have struggled uh, over time, but they have grown their business a little bit. And so this afternoon or yesterday afternoon, I logged on to listen to the X1 conference call and I heard something I've never heard before. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining our call today. As you may have already seen, Desktop Metal announced the X1 company today after market close. As a result, the X1 earnings conference call has been canceled. So the company got taken out by wow. its competitor. 
desktop wow. metal. X1 shareholders, they didn't get to listen to a conference call because the earnings conference call was canceled. Um, and so uh, X1 shareholders instead will be getting $8.50 in cash and $17 worth of desktop metal common stock. Both companies, nice. as I mentioned, in the 3D printing using metal. What's interesting to me is when I listen to the call, because I thought, well, why would these guys buy a competitor? What is it they could possibly see in X1? What they saw is all the things X1 doesn't have. Uh, the CEO of of uh, of uh, Desktop Metal looked at X1. And he said, hey, they don't have the right kind of technology capabilities. They don't have the broad product portfolio. Uh, here's what he said when explaining sort of what they were going to add to the picture after the merger. Well, it, it's sort of uh, they're missing technology puzzles and capabilities that uh, I think X1 uh, doesn't have as part of their portfolio today. And I think uh, putting them together with us, it, it does actually make those products uh, more compelling um, in the full in the full spectrum of solutions that a customer uh, would want. And so I, I would say that uh, another difference is the fact that X1 makes uh, smaller and larger uh, build envelope systems than than our uh, P50. We're sort of in the middle. We're at, we're a, a close to 50 liter build envelope system that produces a lot of parts per day. They have a very very large build envelope system in the 160, and something that's about half the size in build envelope on on the 25 Pro. And so you could imagine a future where you add SPJ capabilities to those systems and also amplify the the options to customers so you have sort of good, better, best version of, of uh, 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 something like a, a P50, what today is the P50. That would take a long time to to uh, deploy and, and, and execute. But uh, if you if you look at it from that point of view, uh, that gives you a picture of, of how you see a portfolio evolving over time and, and uh, some of the additional rationale for uh, doing this transaction. So I thought that was weird. I mean, I, so you're buying a company because they don't have the products you have and you can, I, I, maybe they're buying their customers or maybe they're just taking a competitor out, but at a significant cost. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Rackspace technology. Rackspace trades under RXT. Shares fell 14% today and they've lost 9% over the past 12 months. So what, what is troubling Rackspace? everything. I mean, this company should be in the right space, doing the right things, essentially helping to manage and offer um, off-site hosting of data, um, kind of, you know, the kinds of things that uh, Amazon Web Services and, and and other companies, competitors, Azure and so on do. Um, Rackspace just is having issues. And the biggest one of them all, um, you know, they reported a quarterly result where their revenue is up 13% uh, to $744 million, but their bookings were down 10% compared to the same period last year, um, to $258 million. And, you know, they had a big quarterly deal, a big deal last year that maybe made the numbers skewed a little bit. And so they made a point saying, well, if we didn't have this great success with one deal last year, our bookings would have been up this year, which is a ridiculous thing to say, I think. But uh, maybe more so, the biggest issue for these guys is their gross margins are just going the wrong way. Their gross margins, which were up in the 40s um, not too long ago, have declined uh, massively to their where they're down in the 20s. And, and they say it's going to get worse and it's going to keep getting worse for a little while. Here is their chief financial officer, um, Amir Mahorta. Now, if you take, if I just have to extend it a little bit, 
and go forward and, and give you more color for the next four to five quarters. We believe that we are in this transient phase uh, with this mixture that is happening in the business. And our projections indicate that we'll, this will continue for the next four to five quarters. And during this transient, transient phase, we do expect our gross margins to bottom out in the low 30%. And by the end of fiscal 22, we do expect it to start inflecting with a favorable mix shift to higher cloud, uh, higher value cloud services for three reasons. One, a legacy open stack product uh, is, is becoming a smaller and smaller part of our revenue mix. It's already down to 6% of our revenue. Second is we expect the mix shift in multi-cloud to be largely complete. Uh, and it's expected to be more than 80% of the mix. And third is more meaningful expansion in our newer accounts with higher margin services. And these expansions typically take some time, but you know this is a long-term play for us. So those are a few reasons why we believe that it will stabilize, and then we have an inflection point, point starting the end of fiscal 2022. So I misspoke before. Sorry, their, their margins going from almost 44% all the way down to 33.4% in the most recent quarter. And that's just not good enough for these guys. And you can sound like you can hear from them saying it's going to get worse before it gets better. Corey, what is your next drill down? So company I haven't looked before at before because I just did an IPO through a SPAC back in September. Laird Superfood. Laird Superfood. I like the word superfood. It trades under LSF. Shares have fallen 57, 57% since the company went public. Um, tell me about Laird Superfood. The Laird in question here is Laird Hamilton, who I think is one of the coolest people in the face of the earth. Um, friends of a friend, friends of the Paddle Diva, my good friend out in East Hampton. Um, okay, who, Laird who are these people? For us that aren't in your inner circle, what, who, is, who is that? My friend what, what? the Paddle Diva is like the- The Paddle Diva, of- what does that mean? She's the queen of paddleboarding. She runs a business called the Paddle Diva out of uh, Three Mile Montauk? Harbor in East Hampton. Okay. I encourage everyone to get out there and go paddling with the Paddle Diva. It's a blast. She's a close friend. She introduced me to the Apple model. But Laird Hamilton and his wife, Gabby Reese, uh, Gabby, professional volleyball player of your now just a mom and a model and co-founder of Laird Superfood along with Laird Hamilton. Okay. And uh, as well as uh, Paul Hodge Jr., who was the CEO of this company or was the CEO of this company. We found out yesterday that only nine months after the IPO, CEOs quitting, they huh. reported a, a disappointing quarter where sales were up 64% year over year to $9 million in the uh, most recent quarter. Um, but it wasn't uh, as good as growth had been. They ran a bunch of hiccups during the quarter and the CEO kind of suddenly leaving or going to be a non-executive role and stepping down as president as soon as they can, and CEO, as soon as they can find somebody to take his place. Um, so this company sells some cool products, um, uh, oatmeal and coffees, lots of coffees and coffee creamer, all with uh, interesting, allegedly healthy ingredients. I am not a dietitian. I don't even play one on this podcast. But uh, it, their their sales uh, didn't do so well in the big box stores, Costco in particular. Uh, therefore, online was a big part of their sales in the most recent quarter, 63% of sales. Um, their wholesale business was a third of their sales. Um, and that was up about 77% year over year, but they thought it was going to be more. Uh, and the company lost $6.2 million. So uh, their problems, again, in the quarter were they just couldn't get through in the big box retailers as they had planned to with Costco and other uh, similar big big box clubs. And uh, in particular, their uh, liquid creamer business 
wasn't as successful as they hoped it would be in the quarter. Here's the chief financial officer, Valerie Ells. No, I think primarily what we're talking about here is obviously the, the lower top line. And with the shelf-stable liquid creamer, that was a, a product that we were going to be utilizing on the e-com side of the house as well, which would have carried a higher margin profile. So that had a negative impact. And then the second piece of that is, the, I'd say the second piece of the guidance pull-down is just a slightly slower Costco and club business than we were originally anticipating. Um, great momentum going into the third quarter, but we can't really make up what we got, what we saw slower in the first half. So uh, I would say it's really a combination of those two things. Costco is a great business for us. Uh, still very healthy, don't get me wrong, but it, it's a margin profile that we love as well. It's an efficient product to make. Uh, and it moves the needle pretty dramatically on our top line. So nothing else really going on outside of that. Uh, there are some really exciting initiatives coming up in the second half of the year that you know we're confident we're still going to make progress, just not to the same extent uh, that we were previously hoping for. Um, I'll say that you know one of the reasons the stock sold off today wasn't just the bad quarter, you know, just two quarters after an IPO, but the fact that the CEO is bailing and investors don't like that. I gotta say, I. I find this story so interesting because I I am there I have to be their target demographic. I to a fault buy so much of this superfood, new age supplement Energy stuff. Bars, Hawaiian coffee, powders, um, mixes, yeah. vitamins, you name it. And I'm a Matcha huge Costco. Fuel. And I have to I have let me do a humble brag. I am an executive platinum member of Costco. That's how much I go to Costco. Yeah. That, okay. I go up and down every aisle. So I would have seen this. I would have seen, my point is, I feel like I should have seen this product and I definitely would have tried it out. And so I just, I just find this so strange. It's, it's interesting to hear about this and it's been in my backyard for so long, apparently, and I've never even heard of it. So there you go. That's my, that's my, uh, if, if you guys should, could see Corey's face, just so annoyed with me speaking right now. <laughs> so let's move on. All right. The drill down is brought to you by Indeed. Here's an existential question for every business. When you're hiring, how do you know who's really best for the role? We'll save time and screen for quality candidates with the skills you need with Indeed assessments. When hiring gets hard, you need Indeed, the job site that makes hiring incredibly simple. Just attract, interview, and hire. In fact, with Indeed, you can do all of your hiring in one place, even interviewing. Don't just hope the perfect candidate will find you. Indeed's hiring tools help you cut through the noise and hire faster and smarter. Indeed, the Indeed Instant Match provides a list of quality candidates whose resumes are on Indeed the moment you post a sponsored job. With Indeed assessments, you can choose from 135 skill tests to help make sure you're finding applications from people with the skills you need. According to Talentness, Indeed delivers five times or four times more hires, I should say, than all other job sites combined. So join the three million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And for drill down listeners, get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit. Upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash drill down. That's right, a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash drill down. That's Indeed.com slash drill down. Offer valid through September 30. Terms and conditions apply. And remember to join the drill down on Twitter and Instagram at drilldownpod and check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks you think we should be drilling down on. All right, joining us right now on the drill down, Mark Walchurk joins us right now. He's the CEO of Patterson Companies, which in some ways is one of the weirdest companies we've ever mentioned on the show just because of what you guys sell, Mark. Um, you are both in the veterinary space 
and the dental space. That's correct. We're actually also in the food animal production animal space. So we really have yes. two businesses, Corey, that we're in uh, the dental industry and then the animal health industry. And, and animal health. Yeah. So and, uh, when you get them coming and going there. Uh, so explain to me um, how these businesses, this, your company based in uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, I should say, um, in the Twin Cities. What, what is, how do these two businesses come under one roof for these three businesses even? Yeah, certainly. As you think about our, our businesses, really our, our primary focus is on uh, providing products, services, technology, insights, expertise to kind of help our customers succeed. And whether you're in the animal health space or the dental space, there certainly are a lot of similarities to working with small business owners, uh, also large corporate uh, customers and national accounts. But really, again, all focused on being that kind of connection point between the manufacturers and the products that they make and the end customer being our dental offices, our veterinary hospitals, uh, food animal production facilities, and really helping them, you know, make sense of all the different products and services and technology they need. So that's really the core, you know, providing uh, services again to those small businesses, office-based practitioners, national accounts. And we do that obviously through a, um, you know, a, a comprehensive uh, service and technology platform that obviously supports uh, the various businesses and the various customers. And this is a very big business. You're doing over 5 billion in revenues a year. That's correct. We do uh, a little over five, 5 billion, probably about 60% approximately in the animal health side. 40% uh, on the dental side. Uh, we were fortunate, uh, just named recently the Fortune 500. So obviously it's a, a significant company uh, and with you know really good opportunities for growth. Uh, so let's talk about the breakdown of these businesses a little bit. The, the dental business uh, is the smaller, if you will, 2.3 billion in revenue last year. What is that business specifically? Well, again, if you think about our whole kind of value proposition is really how we help our customers succeed, whether that's improving productivity, uh, max, uh, improving the, the clinical care that they can provide to their patients in the dental office, uh, helping them uh, run their practice with practice management systems and technology and software. So really it's, it's our value proposition is how we work as a really a trusted and indispensable partner uh, with our customers to help them you know, manage their practice, run their practice and help make their practice successful. And that really right, shows so up- if I'm a dentist, yeah. what, what, what product am I going to you for if I run a dental office? If you walked into your dental office, the vast majority of the products in that office would be supplied by Patterson. So all of the kind of consumables products, uh, the equipment, the technology, the, the infection control, personal protective equipment products that they're wearing. Um, in fact, and all, also all the back office uh, products, if you will, that you don't see, the systems that help run the operation. So really soup to nuts, uh, anything that you would see in a dental office for the, the vast majority of, of products and services we provide. Um, and how long has that business been growing for you? It's been, you guys have been in this for quite a long time. Well, Patterson has been in business, I think, for about 140 years. So obviously, it's a very longstanding company. Really, the history of the company was in the dental space. And then over the years, expanded the, the dental space and then expanded into the um, uh, the pet animal, the companion animal space, and then also expanded into the food animal or production animal space. Um, and, you know, it continues to, to grow. And I think we continue to be part of really strong, you know, end markets where there's good growth prospects, good demographics, a lot of innovation and technology that's helping uh, improve the productivity or drive better clinical and patient care or improve food safety. So, uh, we're, we're, we're in great markets. We have a really strong position in those markets. And, 
you know, we've made a lot of good progress over the last several years in, in kind of accelerating our momentum and, and building the company. So in the dental business, I want to get to the pet stuff and the animal sure. stuff. Absolutely. But I want to talk about the dental business. What happened in the dental business uh, in in 2020, really, and, and, and during COVID? Because your numbers were really strong. Uh, but, you know, it, it seems like a lot of dentist office were, were really closed and not doing all the extra stuff, which is where their real money is made. You know, it's interesting. Um, I, I'm really proud of how our team really showed up during COVID and how we supported our customers. And in the dental industry in particular, you know, there was a period of time back in in kind of March, April of last year, parts of May, where, you know, almost the entire dental industry was, was close to shut down, um, with the exception yeah. of maybe emergency procedures. Um, and, you know, really the, the industry bounced back, you know, very quickly. And I think we played a, an important role in helping our customers, you know, kind of rebound, if you will, and really providing the services, getting them back on track. We, we, our teams literally wrote a, a playbook called the Restore and Rebound Playbook to help our customers kind of ramp back up when their offices came back. And also, I think, to help our customers and give them confidence and their patients' confidence that the, going to the dentist was a very safe place to go. If you think you about, saw, you know, just in terms of the numbers, like the, you saw about a five percent decline in your your year ends in April, five uh, percent decline with in April twenty twenty numbers, and and twenty twenty one numbers bigger than twenty nineteen. Yeah, well, look, as I said, I think it, you have to go back a little bit to where we were a few years ago, and I think a couple of years before COVID, and you know, really um, finding finding the company in a position where we needed to really make some changes and drive more of a turnaround. And you know, over the over the first couple of years um, pre COVID. You know, we really did that. We rebuilt our team. We re- rebuilt our culture. We invested in our field sales and uh, uh, service areas, and we really kind of doubled down on on the customer experience. And I think all those investments and that focus really paid off. So as we were entering into COVID, uh, we had built a lot of momentum uh, back uh, in the company and certainly in the dental business in particular. And I think that really was a very positive element to our ability to to manage through COVID, to lead through COVID. And, and re- I'm really proud of the fact also that we kept our team intact. You know, we all made, you know, personal and professional sacrifices when, when COVID hit, not knowing exactly what the future will hold, but we kept our teams in place. And uh, I think that uh, that engaged team and really continuing to build the culture, um, I think really had a, was a big factor in, uh, in, in helping our company um, succeed as it did throughout the COVID uh, environment. And as we think about continuing to build momentum, you know, going forward, uh, you know, really proud of, of how our team has, has showed up during that crisis period. So t- tell me something I don't know about the dental business. I don't understand how that business grows and works. I, I, the, the story someone, well, a friend said who's in the medical business said to me, um, always ask a dentist, if you meet a dentist or anybody in that industry, you know, what percentage of work is actually optional? And if they tell you 0%, they're not telling you the truth, that there's, that there's, a, lot, well, there's a lot of margin in that business for the dentists themselves. What what are the big trends in that industry? Well, I think some of the big trends are really around innovation and new technology and the the digitization of dentistry that's taking place. Uh, that's a mouthful, obviously, but what that means is really new advancements. I see what you did there with dentistry and mouthful. That was good. That was very yeah. Good. There you go. That was good. It's a good pun, actually. Um, but, you know, really, what's happening is there's been tremendous innovation in in the industry. Uh, new technology advancements in uh, the way that dentists practice, the way the type of clinical care that they can provide, whether it's new innovative equipment, uh, technology, uh, AI. Uh, and so all of these AI? I think are, are, are coming together. 
Yeah, I never believe. I, 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 I've decided, and I think our listeners are starting to figure out about half the time I hear AI or machine learning mentioned with a company, my eyebrows at least go up because I think there are a lot of companies that throw that out. So what is, what is it that dentists can do with AI using your equipment that they couldn't do before? Well, I would say that is on the on the innovation scale and probably not as advanced as some of the equipment that's in place. But the ability to go out and, and look at scans and, and have um, some improved intelligence around helping the, the doctor, the dentist to make decisions around uh, the patient care and the type of case they should provide. And, and these are things that are early stages of innovation. But in terms of where dentistry is going and, and where the innovation opportunity is, we're really excited about that and how really um, it's, it's not in the, the context of uh, it's really the ability to help the dentist make the best clinical decision on behalf of that patient. So that's a really exciting time in the world of in the world of dentistry. And I think, um, you know, one of the things you ask, you know, what what don't you know about dentistry? And I think one of the things that's important that's becoming more and more evident is really the connection between kind of over your oral health and your full body health. And really this opportunity to integrate kind of your your dentist with your medical doctor. And and there's a lot of science uh, and I won't pretend to get into the, you know, the scientific data and facts here, but there's a lot of science that would suggest, you know, oral health issues are early indicators of total health or overall body health issues. And so this idea of connecting the two and really um, using oral health as a way to help identify potential issues that could occur medically for patients, I think is a great opportunity um, to advance the, the, the industry, advance the state uh, and, and clinical uh, efficacy of dentistry and, and frankly also make sure that people are going to their dentist and getting you know uh, oral care checkups uh, as frequently as as appropriate uh, because not only is it just good for your oral health but we we believe and the science would suggest it's also uh, good for your overall health and does that allow you the ability to sell different kinds of something to the dentist well i think it it generally it's the right thing to do for the patient number one it sure. improves clinical care certainly um you know, as more patients are going to their dentist more frequ frequently, that's obviously just good for the general demand and the macroeconomic trends of, of dentistry in the industry, which is obviously good for, for Patterson. Um, and I think the ability that the technology that can help, you know, diagnose different types of oral health issues, um, that continues to advance as well. So I think all of those are positives, not only for the, the health of the patient, but certainly just the general health of the industry as well. I would imagine also some of the efforts in Washington to expand uh, federal health care to include dental uh, would be a real game changer for your business. I think that would be a real positive. And again, I think it's just supportive of making sure people go to the dentist. And, and again, uh, that connection between oral health and overall health, I think that's just good for the community and, and good for, you know, the general um, health of, 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 uh, of individuals. So let's switch to animal health here. Also a concern. Yeah. I'm working from home today because my building is closed thanks to a COVID infection. And my dog sitting next to me uh, is, is, it looks pretty healthy. It looks pretty lazy too. Um, what? Uh, let, let, let's, let's um, see. Uh, you have to take my word for it. She's not moving. She's a big German <laughs> shepherd and she, she moves when she wants I to. Do. Um, so, uh, yeah. but what parts of that business are you in and, and, and what, what are the big changes afoot in that business? Well, similar to kind of the role that we play for supporting uh, the dental industry, a similar role that we play in supporting animal health. And as I mentioned, really two components of that, you obviously have the veterinarians, the animal hospitals, really the pet health 
uh, or companion animal. And then we have obviously the production animal, food animal piece. And, and certainly if you think about, you know, what's going on in the industry in particular in the companion animal side and production as well, certainly COVID had, has had a, a, a big impact in both of those areas and uh, generally a positive impact uh, in the companion animal market. Uh, certainly uh, with people working from home, uh, you know, more pets, uh, more pet care. People are more attentive to the pets that they've had, and that's driven demand uh, for for vets and animal hospitals, and that's obviously driven demand for the products and services that we provide. So that's been a a good a good tailwind, and and we think that that's a real positive uh, growth um, you know element for our our industry, and obviously for Patterson going forward. I think that business has changed the way they provide. So obviously, as you mentioned, the COVID pet is a thing. A lot of people who didn't have pets got them during COVID, and we saw the results of from a lot of the pet food suppliers and so on as well. Um, but the way they administer care right now, I mean, you know, now it happens outdoors, right? You show up at the vet, you stand outside and and describe the problems. They take your dog and then you pay a ransom to get your dog back. It's a very different well, I experience. Wouldn't quite characterize I'm sure you it, wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't quite characterize it that way. But I, we, we actually have two dogs and I've just uh, myself experienced uh, that exact situation, although not the ransom part. But, um, you know, you go to the vet and I, actually I think in many ways, while maybe not what we're used to, I think it's actually a very productive way to provide care yeah, uh, to, sure. to your pet. I think it's I think it's a safe it's a safe way to, to do the same. And, and I think it. Um, you know, the, the vets have been incredibly, um, you know, resilient in terms of creating this new method of, of providing care. And I think it's in it's in the interest of just, the, you know, the community and, and the safety. Um, and, and really part of it, too, is the volume, you know, going to the vet, I think, has increased significantly. So just the sheer physical space that many vets have, there's not a lot of space inside those waiting rooms. If you've, you've sat there with your German shepherd, you go in and you got dogs and cats, you know, kind of barking at each other. I, I actually think not only for the the pet, but also for the pet parent. Um, you know, this this actually is a is a pretty productive way yeah. to to you know get care for your pets. Now, maybe you don't have that same interaction with your vet, and I, I understand that. I know the vets that we work with; they're very focused on making sure that you have that interaction either via phone or or video conference. Not ideal, uh, but I think in light of the situation we're in, I think it's been been pretty effective and pretty productive. Do you guys have numbers on that where the number of of animals that vets can see has increased, or their their, their throughput or their capacity? You know, great question. I, I don't offhand. Uh, certainly, something that we could look into. I know certainly the the throughput. I'm sure has increased. Uh, the vets are working long hours. It's very difficult to get an appointment with your vet right now. Uh, I'm sure as many of your listeners would uh, would concur. Uh, but I, I don't have uh, specific facts in terms yeah. of you know the the numbers around that. Do, you, do um, growth in that business um, has been really dramatic? Do you see that continuing? Is this sort of a change in the lifestyle? People where they I guess if you get a dog during COVID, you've still got a dog after COVID. Well, I think that's the key part of it, right? Is I don't think this is a one-time blip. Now, certainly, I think uh, the growth rate in that industry will moderate in kind of a post-COVID environment. But certainly, in my opinion, and I think you know the the facts would suggest there has been a step change in in the growth trajectory of that of that industry. Um, and you know it's it's a simple uh, formula, right? Uh, more people have pets. Uh, that means more pets need treatment occasionally. More pets are going to go to their vet. And so we just think generally the the good 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 tailwinds there. It like I said, it will moderate, I think, from the the height of Covid but certainly a, a real good uh, overall trends and obviously trends that, that we at Patterson are benefiting, benefiting from as yeah, well. I mean, does that help you ultimately in your, in your operating margin where, where if vets are seeing, if the same equipment, you, you saw a lot of, well, I should, 
two things. You, you sell a lot of equipment. If the vets are seeing more animals with the same amount of equipment, uh, maybe they can pay a little bit more, and that's probably good for your margins. But then you also sell a lot of consumables, well, and that's what's interesting. Describe to me what the consumable business is when it comes to animal health. Uh, it's it's a lot of the similar types of, you know, kind of soft goods products, if you will, that we would serve to the dental industry. But the core part of the consumables business in, in the animal health is pharmaceuticals. Uh, and so, you know, those are... Uh, obviously, products that you know are more tied to the the number of of procedures or the number of pet visits, uh, et cetera. So you know there is some um, uh, you know that's again more tied directly to kind of the demand side. Whereas products like equipment or some of the technology, obviously you get some leverage against those if you have more uh, more pets that come into your your practice and you've already invested in that equipment. And and indeed, you've seen margins, your operating margins, more than double over the last two years. They're not huge still, but they've doubled. Well, we'd like to see them obviously uh, continue to, to go in the right direction. That's a big focus for us as we think about just continuing to improve the performance of the company. Um, I think we've done a lot of things to just drive more operational excellence across the company. And certainly we've done some things to try to improve uh, the mix uh, of, of, of the company and just focus on not only the consumables products, but also the services and technology and software that we provide, which you know gives us positive uh, you know uh, margins from a mix standpoint. Uh, and that really continues to be a key focus for us is not only how we continue to grow the company on the top line, but obviously generate profitable growth and uh, and margin expansion. And, and that's a you know, that's something that I, uh, I wake up every day thinking about. Right. Great stuff. Uh, I wake up every day because my dog gets me up. She's still healthy. Well, that's true. She's I wake up at, you know, probably about a little before six every day if, if I'm not already up because my, my dogs are barking and then they don't even need to go out. I think they just want to see me. <laughs> My, my talks to me as well in the morning. Great stuff, Mark. I'm glad you could talk to us today. Mark Walchuk is the CEO of Patterson Companies. We appreciate your time. All right, the drill down bite. That one number that tells us a whole lot. We talked about how profitable this business is and how much more profitable it is than it was just a couple of years ago. We'll have that operating profit margin for this business uh, at Patterson when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And if you click the follow or subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform, you can make sure you listen to The Drill Down every single day. It'll put that uh, new podcast on your phone or on whatever device you're listening to. That way uh, you won't miss a single show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Patterson and companies, not terribly profitable. I'll give you that number, uh, but it's a lot better than it was. That percentage of profitability, the operating profit margin, or actually the actual profit margin, is 3.2%. So yes, well over $5 billion uh, in revenues, $5.9 billion in the most recent year, but only 180 or $190 million of that ends up as a profit of 3.2%. But that's a whole lot better than where they were two years ago, Isaac, when they had a little bit less revenues, but just a $70 million profit. The profit margins were 1.2%. Now they're 3.2%. That's a lot better and going in the right direction. Significantly better. You've been to the vet lately with your dog? Oh, yeah. We're there every three months. Oh, God. Sorry to hear that. We've been <laughs> lucky so far. Knock on we wood. We have a French bulldog, so there's all kinds of problems. Oh, goodness. You know? And now my dog's looking at me. They knock on the... Knock on the... 
You got something to say, Nikki? Okay, we got nothing. All right, The Drill Down is brought to you by the Business Podcast Network. We've got Isaac Webster as our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. And Corey Johnson, we appreciate your time. Thanks. Thanks.